you're listening to a Big MX Radio Podcast, brought to you by Arma Energy, presented by Fly Racing, W Wheels, Bill's Pipes, Just One Helmets, X-Brand Goggles, Shades of Grey Custom Helmet Painting, Rhino Power Sports Supplements, Roy Borton Suspension, Watts Perfections, and Golden Tire. Simply the best, motocross and supercross news from around the globe. And now, here's your host, Brad Gephardt. Welcome to the Arma Energy Drink Big MX Radio Podcast Show, brought to you by Fly Racing, Bills Pipes, Just One Helmets, and W Wheels. I am your host, as usual, Brad Gebhardt. With me on the line, we've got former factory Suzuki rider. That's right, we've got Ben Riddle on the line. Ben, how's it going, brother? Uh, it's going pretty good. Uh, doing some, a lot of traveling, getting ready to drive to Florida and do some training. Right on. You're training some young athletes, and let's jump straight into that. What's new and exciting in uh, Ben Riddle's world? Uh, I understand you're doing some training with some young athletes. Uh, yeah, I started uh, working for Nario Izzy back in uh, September and uh, kind of branched off and started doing my own thing now. And uh, I have uh, two riders, uh, Chase Gilly and Dakota Aldridge. One rides uh, big bikes and just moved up to big bikes riding the the C novice class and the other one rides 65, 10 to 11 and, uh, and uh, 80, uh, 85, 7 to 11. So pretty good riders and, uh, you know, pretty stoked to be have the opportunity to work with them we stay busy <laughs> for sure uh aldridge we're familiar with that last name uh any relation to uh christopher who's in the pro ranks right now uh no not any relation to christopher okay. but sure is uh he's gonna be his name's gonna be big eventually one day fair enough we have two aldridges uh ripping up the uh the pro class hopefully he can st- stay on two wheels a little better than chris does yeah <laughs> right on so uh right on. You're uh, born and raised in Kentucky. Uh, is that still where you call home? Oh, yeah. I'm still, uh, well, actually, I'm mean, still call Kentucky home, but I'm living, uh, currently living in Georgia now, kind uh, of towards down, uh, actually, Albany, Georgia, which is like 45 minutes north of Cairo, where MTF and everything's at. So, yeah, I'm uh, moved down here due to the, the fact that you can ride almost year-round and uh, the weather's a lot better. <laughs> Yes, sir. Especially uh, much nicer than it is here. But uh, we actually had a beautiful day up here, up here in Canada. So uh, I got to ask: um, quite a few years removed from your professional career, what what made you want to uh, come back and uh, kind of give back to some of these young athletes? Uh, and and what made you feel like you really had something to offer them? Well, I mean, uh, technically, um, you know, I stepped away from the sport and then. Uh, when I got back into it, I was riding a little bit and, uh, you know, uh, had an offer from uh, Nario Izzy, Nico Izzy's dad, to come down and train some kids. And, uh, you know, I couldn't do it uh, in uh, last year in uh, 13 or, well, this previous year, right after Loretta's in 2013, I couldn't do it. And, um, you know, I've always had a passion to train kids. And I feel like, you know, if I can pass on some of the, uh, some of the knowledge that I have that I can, you know, help these kids to succeed, you know, put smiles on their faces when they do good, you know, that that's a big thing, and, you know, working a nine-to-five wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't my passion, it was, really wasn't uh, something I was wanting to do, and being at the motocross track, it, you know, I feel like I have, uh, I'm here, I'm at home, and uh, it's a lot better for me here than it is, you know, working for somebody else, you know, 
doing sheetrock or painting or running estimators, this is my passion. And, you know, I, I enjoy it a lot more than I do doing anything else. For sure. So how important was it for you to have done those uh, nine to five jobs to uh, help you uh, kind of appreciate the job that you have now and, and, uh, and really put your all into it, knowing that uh, you don't want to have to go back to a nine to five position. You'd rather be your own boss. And uh, like you said, give back to these kids because uh, that aha moment that comes across their face when they really learn something is uh, something special. Yeah, I mean, I just, uh, but, you know, working for somebody else and having to get up in the morning and, and do different jobs. Like, you know, like I said, I did some drywall painting and then I got an excavator too back in Kentucky. And it's just like, you know, it's not as fun. This is fun. I love going to the track, you know, and it, it makes me appreciate every day that I get to go out to the track with the kids and, and, you know, watch them ride and teach them, you know, new technique and new stuff like that. And just makes it a better, kind of better for me and, you know, better for my wife and everything and my, my daughter. Excellent. Uh, so do you still throw a leg over the bike yourself? Uh, and if so, are you a two-stroke guy or a four-stroke guy? Uh, I'm a four-stroke guy, and I definitely, uh, you know, I don't, um, I do ride. Uh, I have a bike right now. It's broke. I, when I moved down to Georgia back, uh, in September, I got to ride it three times, and it threw a rod out the bottom of the cases. So I'm getting it fixed. Just money's kind of been tight, and now finally I've got the I've got the ball, the ball rolling now. So it's you know I'm getting it fixed here in the next few weeks. And you know I do some riding. Uh, I've got a couple of buddies that have come down that was coming to Norios and uh, riding Supercross, and they bring bikes down and let me ride the Supercross track. You know I'm still putting some fast laps in. I'm just you know you know if you're not riding all the time, you know you're not in shape, and that's a big thing. You know uh, you know I'm going to go to Florida and we got an extra bike we brought with us, the T50F. So I'm gonna do some riding when we're down here. Go to some uh, some play places, just play around. You know, it just it's hard to rebound off uh, injuries and whatnot. And then, you know, I got back into it in uh, May of 2013 and rode for three weeks after not riding for like eight years. And went to an area qualifier, ended up crashing and breaking a bunch of ribs. And it was just like you don't rebound when you do like when you're a kid. You know, you take a hit and it's like you're out for a long time when you get older. And you feel it a lot worse. You know, I got bum knees, ankle, my back's messed up. So when I do ride, I, it's, you know, it's awesome that day. But the next two or three days, I feel like I've got, you know, got to fight with Mike Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> the evidence of a body that uh, spent a lot of time on a motorcycle, my friend, and uh, so, some of it off of a motorcycle, unfortunately, uh, is what got you those, those injuries. Um, uh a storied career as, a, as an amateur and then uh, a, a rather short one as a professional. Um, what's what stoked your passion for motocross? I noticed that you uh, first uh, came onto the scene in Loretta Lynn's in 2000, or 1993. Uh, that's on the 85cc 7-11 to class, but I have a feeling that your love for motocross started a little bit earlier than that. How did you get in, introduced to motocross, and uh, and how did this fire, how did this passion develop uh, so quickly for you? Uh, well, um, I start. We used to live by Fort Knox in Kentucky, and my dad, you know, he rode dirt bikes and uh, started riding three wheelers and four wheelers when I was like four and five. And my dad always rode a dirt bike. He used to race in the seventies. Uh, he used to race pro, race against. Uh, you know, Roger DeCoster, Hiking Nicola, um, 
all them fast guys in the 70s and uh used to be pretty good made the front cover of dirt rider one time for pulling a whole shot at a pro national in kentucky yes sir and he got me uh you know i watched him ride all the time and i was just like i don't want a dirt bike so uh my seventh birthday he got me a bike and uh actually very first thing i did when i hopped on it took off down the driveway and you know how three wars and four wars off you can grab that front brake and you're all right well i grabbed that front brake and uh went down in gravel and busted my knee all up and had to get like 18 stitches so i actually wouldn't ride for a long time uh my dad had to ride on the back of my bike and it was a xr8 and he had to ride on the back of it with me and uh let me drive it around and he would sit on the back and hold on and then finally one day he finally put his feet down and i be honest, I cried like a baby riding around, like, where'd you want to get off? But after that, after I started getting the hang of it and everything, it was on and uh, went to my first race and uh, ended up, uh, the wheel bearings went out on the, the XR80 and I had a cousin that was living with me because he had a big wheel 1989 uh, Kawasaki big wheel 80. And that was the, the first bike I raced. I raced in a set of overalls and a street bike helmet. Her, uh, <laughs> old pair of like i don't know what kind of boots they was but uh couldn't even touch on one side i had to hang off the you know the kickstarter side wouldn't even touch the clutch and when the gate would drop i'd hop over and kick it in first gear and take off and uh it went from there like i won my first race and was like you know everybody told my dad you know hey you need to get him this this and this and he bought me another bike and you know we went from there and started uh started riding and uh I rode a lot of woods at first. We had a 37-mile uh, loop that never crossed the same path because my dad did a lot of uh, hair scrambles and enduros in the late 80s, and uh, that's what we rode. We rode in the woods for a long time, and then he built me a motocross track and then uh, taught me how to drive a bobcat, which is probably one of the most handy things besides teaching me how to ride a dirt bike. So, uh, you know, he run a full business there for a long time, so every time he get home with a bobcat, I'd drive the bobcat and build me some jumps make the track a little bit better a little bit harder and you know we just started practicing and uh, worked on a lot of turns that was this big thing you know back in the 70s there wasn't no jumps you know that was when men were men it was wide open in the turn so we practiced a lot of turns and uh next thing you know i started getting a little bit better and better you know did a lot of local stuff you know first year i went to loretta's i I show the boys I train now, you know, my, my flat from Loretta is the first year I went, I got 30th, you know. And I tried to tell them, I was like, you got to start somewhere. You can't expect, you know, to go right out there and win every time. And, I, you know, I started at 30th place and gradually got better over the years. But, you know, my dad got me into it, and, you know, he gave me the passion. And that's uh, you know, the best sport in the world. You know, it's not just a, you know, it's not just a, a you know, competition you get to the track it's families and friends and it's like one big giant family you know no matter how long you've been out of the sport they still accept you back you know it's best sport like i don't care hands down there's not another sport in the world that's like it 100 percent, i totally agree with you uh the 85 cc 7 to 11 stock class you were in that class three years in a row on uh, on kawasaki's first year you were 30th you increased your next position by 20 points or 19 points in the 11th. And then the following year, you ended up fourth behind the likes of Travis Pastrana, James Stewart, and Derek Fisher. Um, incredible performances and incredible leaps and bounds in terms of your gains. Uh, you said your dad was a huge 
teacher and, and really stressed those corners and stuff like that. Um, how was he as a moto dad and uh, like what type of things did he work on with you so that you in three years went from basically the back of the pack with consistent finishes outside the top top 20 to, uh, to, to then leading the pack and uh, dicing it up with uh, guys like James Stewart who is still today uh, fastest man on the planet. Well, I mean, we just built it. We'd go out in the field and he'd set up, uh, if it wasn't some cones, he'd take 55 gallon drums and we'd set them out in the field and uh, practice turns, you know, and it, you know, getting past this person from point A to point B and break down the track, you know, laying off a jump, that's point A, and then into the turns to point B. And we practiced a lot of turns, you know, turn drills all day long, learn, you know, learning how to use the clutch and the brakes and balance and, you know, a lot of motos. He was more on me there for a long time, and, and, but in the end, it paid off. You know, a lot of a lot of training. You know, when I when I got on the big bikes, you know, I used to get up in the morning before school and go for a six mile run, and then go to the gym, and then go to school, get out at lunch, and go ride. You know, and he put he'd leave to go to work and leave five pounds of gas out, and it had to be run. You know, most of the time it had to be run out. And, you know, it made me uh run out as much gas as I could, possibly could in a day, and usually it was about five gallons, and we rode every day, you know, Monday through Friday, and if it was, if we had to leave on Friday, usually I tried to ride in the morning and, and, you know, train every day. You know, at 12 years old, I started going to the gym and running, mountain biking and stuff like that, just to try to get an advantage on everybody else that wasn't doing it, and I think it kind of pushed my game up a lot and made it a lot better than, you know, most of the average riders that were racing. You know, I didn't, we didn't stay around local. When I started getting better, we started traveling a lot. You know, we lived in Kentucky, but we went to, you know, um, we went to uh, Muddy Creek, you know, the Mega Series in Tennessee, and we run that series, and we went to Florida for the Winter Ams. We went where the competition was at, you know, to get better. And, you know, I owe it all to him because he pushed me, and, you know, he wanted me to succeed, but, you know, he was a good pro rider when he went back in his day, and he wanted me to be better than him, and, you know, he pushed me and tried to, you know, make me the best I could be. 100% now. Uh, what was it like being on Team Green? I understand uh, you became a Team Green rider in 1995, uh, which basically springboarded you into a lot of success. Uh, going forward from there, uh, no time that you went to Loretta Lynn's were you outside of the top 10 after that and uh, uh, you were a team green guy right up until 2000 um, sharing the spotlight with guys like uh, Shea Bentley and um, well there would have been Josh Woods and uh, even James Stewart uh, were, like did you have a lot of communication with those guys did you ride with them at all for like ride days and stuff like that what what kind of dynamic uh did that surround and uh talk a little about going on to a 125 at the tender age of 13 years old yeah um well with james i literally like when we used to go to Ve uh out to the world mini in vegas and mammoth mountain a lot of times his parents couldn't show up till later in the week so <laughs> my mom and dad would would babysit him and josh hansen and uh you know the, let me see who else um, Jim, Josh Hansen, uh, Lifto every once in a while. I mean, I used to race against Woods and Jeff Gibson, and, you know, it, it was a lot of communication on the team. It was more of like a, you know, like I said, like a big family. You know, we did a lot of, uh, 
at first, a lot of them guys used to beat me on mini bikes. And then when I got on, I, I jumped up to big bikes, that, you know, a little bit sooner than everybody else. So when I when they got on the big bikes, you know, I'd, I'd beat them pretty good. And, it, you know, but there was a lot of communication. You know, my dad was friends with all their parents and we hung out after, you know, it was we were friends off the track, but, you know, not really sworn enemies on the track, but they were my competition and I didn't, you know. I don't have friends at the track, you know, at, at, on the track, no friends, but off the track, we used to hang out and it was good. And then, you know, like I said, we used to babysit James Stewart. I mean, you know, when his four, four his parents would show up to the races back in the day when he was on mini bikes, there's many times we, you know, looked after him and Josh Hansen and, uh, you know, we used to hang out with the Millsaps and stuff too, but, uh, Andrew Short, you know, a lot of them, it yeah, Andrew Short, you know, a lot of them, we were all friends off the track, but like I said, when I got to the track, when that gate dropped, it was a different story, you know, I didn't, I didn't care who it was, I was, I was out there to win and, you know, make a statement most of the time, but, you know, and then on the other note, on the moving up the big bikes, uh, you know, I was, I went to Loretta's that last year, uh, in the 7-Eleven, I turned 12 at, in June, so as soon as we left Loretta's, we sold all my 80s, got me a 125, you know, uh, started racing, I think it was like my third weekend, I went to a Mega Series race, and, uh, ended up flipping a bike, and, uh, broke my arm, which, you know, it happened, and, uh, it was my first broke bone, so it was kind of, not devastating, but they had to do surgery and all that stuff. And ended up, uh, you know, after that, you know, I got healed up, started riding again, and it was good. You know, that got me, you know, a couple more 125s and started doing a, a, you know, a lot of big races, went to many O's. I don't recall what I did that year. I think I rode the beat, uh, the schoolboy class, 12 to 15, and I think I did good. I think I got top five against, like, an Enzo Fonseca. Uh, I think Pastrana moved up the year to big bikes, too, you know, but I, I was up there, and good you know good good results and you know try to race you know get where the competition was at and then you know it was hard at first being you know the youngest kid in a lot of them classes because you know the, the following year i went to loretta's i rode super mini i didn't ride a super mini all year except for the area qualifier the regional and loretta's and i was so big on it i ended up getting like seven and then i think i got eight in the schoolboy class you know there was like ernesto fonseca and uh you know your stuff, them, uh, man. Yeah, I remember some of it. Nick Way, <laughs> all the concussions. Uh, yeah, Fonseca, and uh, like that's pretty much the only guys I, I recognize from the top ten, other than yourself. You uh, you edged out Paul Carpenter, though. Yeah, it was a good. Uh, I mean, that that year was good, and then you know, the following year, I think I went. Uh, you know, I started doing a lot better. I went on a lot of races on the big bike. I think I got me a. a, a 13 or yeah i think when i turned 13 right before loretta's my dad bought me a 252 stroke and uh started riding in a whole bunch you know i was already a big kid as it was you know i was six foot two at four, 13 years old so and uh now i went to loretta's the following year and uh i think i got second and third i won a moto the year it was billy Payne and pastrana the only two that beat me that year and uh you know uh, did good that year. I was really pumped, and that was kind of like my shining moment that I started doing good when I won that moto. I was like, you know, I think uh, I think we're going to try to stick, you know. Sometimes you, you don't know if you're going to stick with the sport, if, you know, you're going to stay in school. And when I went to the Reddit that year and I won that moto, I decided I was going to talk to my parents at the home school me so I can ride full time. And, 
know, and train all the time. And I think it was a good thing to do at the time. And oh, it moved up. And now, you know, a lot that year I rode a lot of B class, you know, a lot of 250B. And, uh, but, you know, the following year I went to Loretta's and ended up doing, uh, I got a first and a second. And I probably would have won, I think, both, both classes. But I crashed in a moto, and I, had, I ended up splitting the uh, schoolboy classes with Woods. He ended up winning. Uh, he ended up winning the other class, and I won the other one. But I think I should, you know, I, I recall that I went down in one moto, and I had a bad finish, and it put me out by like one point from winning. So a, a, a bad finish is. being fifth. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. But it is what it is. I mean, it, it happened. I mean, but I, I, I was, you know, that was my first championship in 98. And I yeah. was, you know, that was, the, you know, for my dad, that's what we worked so many years for, you know, going Loretta's every year from 93 up. And, you know, when I won it, and, you know, after five years, he was, that was probably the best feeling. I've never seen my dad cry. And, you know, he was teary-eyed. And, you know, when I grabbed that number one plate and raised it in the air, it was, it was a surreal moment for both of us, our family, because, you know, my family sacrificed so much for me, you know, my mom and my dad. And, you know, we wasn't, you know, we wasn't nowhere close to being wealthy or rich. You know, we're low, I grew up lower class, you know, I mean, scraping by to get to the races on the weekends. My mom and dad never had new shoes. I mean, I'm literally, we never had new shoes, new clothes, none of that stuff. You know, we, you know, we worked, dad worked hard all week long so we go the races on the weekend my mom you know it was a full-time job for her to take care of me when my dad was at work and she come to the races and take care of me and my brother you know he raced there for a long time and uh you know it was it was hard you know it's hard on them but it, it paid off there when i won that that first championship it was you know it was really a real surreal thing so 1998, you win your first championship in the 125 modified. Um, so, and you ride the stock class. So you, you, you've got a, a stable full of bikes. Who's working on these bikes? Is is your dad doing spinning all the wrenches? Uh, and at one point, did you, did you kind of start to uh, work on your own kind of stuff, or uh, did you have a, a practice bike mechanic, or even a race mechanic? Well, I, no, my, no, we didn't have. No, at, at 98, we had uh, pretty much. It was just my dad. My dad okay. did all my mechanic work. Uh, took care of everything. You know, I, I helped him a little bit on the bikes and whatnot when I could, but he wrenched on everything. He's probably, you know, one of the best mechanics I've ever, you know, ever seen wrench on bikes, do stuff with bikes. And, that, you know, I've never, you know, people would just laugh at you when you tell them, but, you know, he's done with beer can making reeds out of a beer can because nobody had reeds for a 65 one time in a race or knocked a hole in cases and took a beer can and JB Weld and fixed the cases so I could race the weekend. You know, there's stuff like that that, you know, people these days would just call it a day. Not my dad, you know. I mean, I've seen him do, you know. But he was, you know, a, a superb mechanic. You know, he could hold his own with any of the factory mechanics this day. And, uh, you know, he, he did a lot for me. And, uh, you know, a lot of late nights working on the bikes and keeping them up to par and whatnot. And then, you know, but like 98 and whatnot, you know, it was, uh, that was kind of my, when I won a championship, it kind of, you know, broke the mold of everybody, sponsors and everything. And, you know, when I went to Loretta's in the first year, I, or that year I got fourth, I didn't have a sponsor, not one sponsor. I mean, I didn't have no stickers on my bike, old gear. You know, the next year, you know, I got a sponsor from Thor, and, you know, started picking up some sponsors here and there. But, you know, at first it was, was out of our pocket. 
you know, and then, uh, you know, I started winning championships, stuff started coming, that, that's how it always is, but, you know, a lot, a lot of it was, you know, we paid for ourselves, you know, old, old bikes and, you know, old gear, and, but it all makes it worth a while when you go out there and do good. 100%. That's the, when you, when you cross the finish line in the front, that's um, one of the best feelings as a motocross racer that you can have. Um, your last six championships at Loretta Lynn's, you, uh, you won all but one of them. Of course, that one to uh, Josh Woods, but extremely dominant. Uh, I got to imagine when those wins started to pile up, uh, the phone calls, the phone calls started to pour in uh, with different offers and stuff like that. Um, first of all, like, like, how did you receive news like that? Like, were you really excited? Were you shy about it? Were you a little bit weary? Uh, and uh, as as a, such a such a dominant rider uh, at, at a young age, how 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 hard is it to stay grounded uh, when you're you're just every time you line up, you're you're going to be at the front of the pack? Well, I mean, um, at the you know, at the time being a dominant rider, I mean, I kind of. I didn't care. Expected to be up front, but I knew I should be up front all the time. And then, you know, when I started doing good and people started calling, you know, sponsors would approach me at the track, hey, won't you wear our gear? Or, you know, and, you know, I'd send me a contract, you know, and I'd take, you know, and usually it, if somebody sent me something and I, you know, I was wearing one set of gear or something, you, well, I was loyal. You know, I try to stay really loyal to the company that, you know, that first started sponsoring, like Thor. When they started sponsoring me, it was like, you know, Fox and a lot of other people started offering me stuff. And it was just like, you know, I would call my tour rep and tell them, hey, look, these guys offer me that. Oh, no, no, no. We'll give you double, you know, whatever you need, you know. And, you know, it started off like that. And, you know, I wouldn't, you know, a lot of them would, you know, like I said, would offer me something. And all I have to do is call the ones that did sponsor me because I wanted to stay loyal to them. And, you know, a lot of times I had offers from people that was better than what I was getting, but it was enough to get me by and keep, you know, and be stable that I wouldn't switch over, even if they couldn't do any better, you know, and I just wouldn't try to stay loyal. And loyalty to me is a lot, is a big thing, and I don't like, you know, at that point in time, my dad, you know, he was like, listen, you know, if somebody offers you something, don't jump on him because, you know, always give your other, you know, the sponsors that then with you an opportunity to match them or, you know, at least make it better or something. If they don't, if it's almost as good, don't run off from them because they've been with you the longest and, you know, it's the one, you know, be loyal. That was my big thing my dad always preached. And, you know, uh, you know I got, and it, you know, it was good. I mean, uh, there was a lot of, you know, the only other really bike offer I got was from Suzuki in 2000. And, uh, you know, a lot of the other, you know, a lot of the other, you know, manufacturers already had riders and whatnot. And I was, you know, I was happy with Kawasaki there for a long time. And, uh, you know, started winning the championships. And then uh, in 99, I won two more in the intermediate classes. It was like, you know, I had a Suzuki called me up. I mean, I actually approached me at Loretta's that right the, the day I got my trophies and everything. And I was like, hey, this is we're going to offer you this. You know, my dad said, put it on paper. They put it on paper. We faxed it over to Kawasaki, and the Kawasaki's like, no, we can't give you 10 bikes. We can't give you this. We can't give me a limited part. You know, so we went on and switched over to this. You know, it's about the only time I ever really was, you know, jump ship on anybody. But I couldn't pass up 10 bikes and unlimited parts. And then they gave my dad $50,000 for travel money. And, you know, my contingency money was doubled. 
me, and then, you know, I had a deal to a shop that, you know, I take some kidney money in, and they would give me cash, you know, so really, that I couldn't pass that up, so... 100% now like that particular year I don't know I don't know if it's that particular year but uh, I was looking back at some old racer X uh, uh, articles and uh, some of the sound bites and uh, you were quoted as to saying uh, during a, a year of your amateur career hauling down two hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars as an amateur motocross racer how is that possible and um, what what year was would that were would you, did you uh, were you talking about when you said that well, I'd say probably if you would add in like the probably not the end of '99, 2000, when I switched to Suzuki, you know, part of Kawasaki, because I I had a deal to a shop that I could take my contingency money in, and they would give me cash, you know, and uh, a lot of um, a lot of the sponsors would send instead of you know an amateur, you can't get paid, but they can pay your parents, you know, it's kind of like. There's no stipulation on what they can send your parents. So, you know, my dad, he'd give them his, you know, bank account number, and they would deposit money into the account and whatnot for us to, you know, it was travel expense money, but there was, you know, a lot of the money that I made was my contingency money. You know, a lot of, and that's all we hit was contingency paying races. If we drove six, seven hours, we'd go to contingency pay race. I'd get double contingency on both classes that I win. So instead of just winning 1000 bucks, I'd win 2000 and then now I take it to the shop and they, you know, they give me cash for it, write me a check. And, uh, you know, along with all the sponsors that, you know, give my dad money. I sit down and like I said, I sit down one day back a long time ago and figured it all up. And it was close to $250,000 that I made that year. And it was just off, you know, like I said, it wasn't nothing. That not, nobody ever really gave me, you know, besides the shop, giving me money exchange for my tennessee money. It wasn't nobody ever really gave me, like a sponsor gave me cash in my hand, but they give it to my dad, you know, send a check to him or deposit money into the bank account. So, you know, that year was a pretty good year for me as an amateur. You know, I know that it's, a lot of them, it's hard to, hard to believe that an amateur can make that much money, but I promise you there are still amateurs that make somewhat that amount of money and did make that kind of money. I mean, I promise you, Strana and... Oh, a yeah, lot of them sure. back in the day made, made, and at the amateur made money like that. And, you know, a lot of the parents and stuff that read that article are like, oh, there's no way. And I'm like, you know, I'll break it down for you. You add up all these weekends and you add up all this other stuff, it adds up pretty fast. And, uh, you know, never really did nothing, you know, bad or nothing, all, you know, as that part of getting money from them, you know, never really was handed to me. But, you know, a lot of them, would you know help my dad out with travel expenses and whatnot? But I mean, if you add it all up, and even at the end of the year, all the big races we went to, and all the you know airline tickets, and you know paying to go to this and paying to go to that, I really didn't. I really didn't make you know. I made a, a good amount, but it paid for a lot of the stuff that we had to take care of. Totally. So, uh, and like that's I, I, not crazy for me to imagine because I know even like guy like uh, Tony Alessi didn't really have a job throughout the balance of Mike's amateur career. Uh, his job was to make sure his kid was going fast on a dirt bike and made sure that that happened. Um, when Suzuki approached you, uh, and and then you were basically kind of like, did they kind of do the? Um, 
like show you around the the race shop in California and, and all of your uh, like your your race bikes and your practice bikes were uh, were on point. And uh, how far were those 250 and 125s from uh, from the bike that you eventually raced for them the year the year after in the pro ranks? Well, I mean when we uh, when they approached me and everything about doing uh, switching over and everything, uh, they flew me out to California and they showed me everything like the factory race shop and all that stuff like that and uh you know when i signed the deal with them they gave me 10 bikes you know i was uh <laughs> sitting at the house in a big semi truck you know delivery truck come down the driveway with 10 brand new motorcycles in it five one twenty five five two fifties and you know uh at that time i was riding for fms and uh they uh you know even with them 10 bikes all the big races you know, like all the national races that uh, FMF would take my bikes. They had their own personal bikes, and they would take my bikes to the track. And uh, you know, it was it made it a lot easier on my dad. You know, at that time, the the last uh, the last two years, you know, like uh, ninety nine, two thousand, I had a mechanic. You know, uh, all the way up until you know, dad mechanic for me all the way up until ninety nine, and then uh, FMF had a, a guy that worked there for a long time, and. Uh, he started doing all my wrenching for me and, you know, at all the big nationals. And, you know, my dad still went to the gate, but he, you know, dad always liked to wash the bikes and do stuff like that. But I had a mechanic and whatnot. And, uh, you know, and the bikes that they had, you know, were just pretty much, you know, when I rode for Suzuki, it was as close as you can get to a factory bike without it being factory. And, you know, it was, uh, it was it was surreal, you know. When I started, you know, switched over to Suzuki, they you know said they took me down there. I met Roger DeCoster. I met all the factory riders, and you know, got to you know see everything, see behind the scenes. They you know they flew to me some Supercrosses and some Outdoor Nationals to watch, and you know get a get an idea of how the how that life was, and try to you know get me acclimated to being there, and you know set me up, I got to sign some autographs and stuff and do a lot of stuff like that that, you know, makes you understand, you know, you're getting ready to be in the big leagues instead of the small stuff. And, you know, it was good. It was uh it was exciting at the time. It was almost overwhelming as a kid from Kentucky, you know, that we really didn't have nothing. We're dirt poor and I was getting ready, you know, I was almost you know, right there at the getting ready to be in the next level where I pushing forward since I was a little kid and it was I don't know I look back on it now and it's just like you know I don't I w- wish I could relive it one more time just you know because it was that it was that much fun and just so awesome you know getting to take my dad with me out there to California and stay and you know we uh him getting to meet Roger to cost or somebody he used to race and getting to go to the factory shop and walk around and just meet people and it was just it was more than exciting you know getting a test with uh, the people from japan on stuff and you know i mean like i said my bikes were ever you know closest factories you can get as an amateur rider and, you know and there's not a lot of guys these days that do race that don't you know faulkner you know there, there's some guys out there that got almost you know their bikes are factory as close as it's going to get besides it being factory so but no, it was awesome. All right, guys. All right, guys. It's time for a commercial. 
If there's one item to be picky about, it's choosing the right helmet. I'm Andrew Short, and I choose the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. You too can wear the exact same helmet I wear, Trey Kennard wears, Jimmy Albertson wears, and many others. The F2 Carbon is a helmet loaded with details that make a huge difference in comfort and safety. Lightweight materials, phenomenal airflow, and a super comfortable sweat-absorbing liner and generous eye port design to accommodate any goggle choice are just a few. And did I mention how super trick these helmets look? Straight off the shelf and onto the racetrack. If you are looking for one amazing helmet, look no further than the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. For more information about Fly Helmets and other products from Fly Racing, visit them on the web at flyracing.com. What's wrong, Jeff? I don't know, Jay. Well, you better fuel up with a nutritious breakfast with oats and bran. Oats and bran? I didn't think there was such a thing. That's what I used to think. Now, I start out every morning with a bowl of Amigos. For extreme kids like us. That's what I call fueling for the big ride. Hey kids, start out every morning with a fat bowl. So, what do you think of Rich Taylor? Lighter than hair and stronger than steel. So what that means is it can move much faster. 2014 X-Brand Goggles is back and better than ever. From the Scatter X, Volcano, and Phantom Goggle, X-Brand has the product to make you stand out on race day. The quality of X-Brand products is second to none. Great lenses, incredible frame, and a strap that doesn't wear out. Great tear-offs, zip-off systems, nose guard, and more. Check out eksbrand.com for all of the accessories and pricing. WUSA is your one-stop shop for quality wheel sets in America. All of the best components built for the toughest conditions. Hit up WUSA.com, that's D-U-B-Y-A-U-S-A.com right now and check out the custom wheel builder selection. Pick your rims, pick your hubs, pick your spokes, even pick your nipples and see what it's going to look like on your bike. On the website, you'll drool over components like XL and DID rims, Talon and Kite aluminum hubs, Galfer and Brembo brakes, and spokes that take a licking and keep on ticking. The same wheels that you buy are built by the same guys who are building wheels for Ryan Dungey, Jeremy Martin, Chad Reed, and the entire Geico Honda team. And I kid you not, if they are not told whose wheels are whose, they just build amazing product. And I want you guys in a set of W wheels. So do what I did and head to dubyausa.com today. WUSA, all things wheels. What's up, guys? It's time to talk a little bit about Roy Borden Race. He's the performance specialist suspension, making a motor work, balancing a bike, or just maintenance. He's got the tools and know-how to make sure that your bike is ready on race day or practice. Roy Borden has strength 
in years of experience and the best technology and best tools at his disposal. Whether you're getting your forks redone, seals, or a full, full-blown rebuild on your forks or, or shock, call up Roy Borton today at 204-633-2722. How cool was it to, to like like the feeling of being able to uh, like bring your dad along and and see like oh, just about every weekend as he as he sees you being so successful and enjoying the, all of these uh, perks and the going to the national and stuff and kind of look at him to say like this is what you afforded me this is this is the, the your all of your hard work paying off dad like I know. Uh, for myself, when I I'm a, I was a competitive freestyle skier, and when when I don't go skiing with my dad, and he sees the things I can do on skis, he kind of shakes his head, and I just tell him like, "You let me do this. this I I wouldn't be able to do this without you." And uh, that's a really cool bond. Oh yeah, I mean uh, everything that he uh, helped me get to, you know, saying I owe everything to him. Uh, he pushed me, and when I took, you know, when we made it. You know, and I, you know, moved over to Suzuki. Even at Kawasaki, you know, they used to take me, they used to bring me out to California, and I would go see the factory and, you know, go to the factory part of it. And then uh, FMF used to let me stay at their house out there with all the mechanics, and, you know, it was good. You know, I'd take him with me, and he'd get to, you know, it was living the living the, the life, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. And it was good. Right on, so, uh... The, the end of but, your, you know, go ahead but uh yeah i mean taking him with me and everything it was uh it was awesome for him because it was like you know the last couple of years he at all the big races he really didn't have to do a lot it was along the lines of uh him uh just sitting back watching me go out there and kill it <laughs> Don't and it. uh it made and it, it made you know it made it it made it good for him because you know he he know he realized all the hard work we put into it and all the time and effort was paying off and uh you know you couldn't stop him from smiling you know my dad's uh six foot two got a big burly mustache he's not cut in like 30 years and he couldn't keep the smile off his face you know and he was always happy you know, my mom was the same way. You know, she was so always pumped. And every time I we went to the nationals and started doing good, it always made it eat. You know, that it was good for them because it. You know, they realized that I was on my way to doing something good, and you know, hopefully making it in the sport of motocross. For sure. Now, um, very different from it is now. Uh, more time, more times often than not. Uh, They'll actually have a, an amateur rider who's uh, basically scheduled to make his pro debut. They'll actually hold him back uh, as as long as they can to make sure that they're 100% race ready. And uh, now usually they start first time, like first race is usually, uh, first professional race is the first national. Uh, whereas uh, in 2000, it was very common for riders to basically the first available national after the Loretta Lynn's uh, race in uh, in July, that they'd uh, they'd go straight into a few nationals for the end of the year. You did exactly that. Uh, joined Team Suzuki with uh, Travis Mastrana at the end of 2000 uh, to race both Broom Tangoga and uh, and Steel City. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the the prep up coming up to those races and then uh, entering the pro stage on a K on a RM 125. Oh well, um, well after Loretta's. Uh 
they asked me to uh, if I wanted to do the last two nationals, and uh, I, you know, I agreed and everything, and uh, went and uh, the, the you know it was good. We uh, I wrote for the back in there with a satellite team called Bill's Pipe Suzuki, and they had a. a I think Brandon Jettison was on the team, or a dude named Robbie Horton, and uh, I went and rode for that team. We did some testing, you know, like right after Loretta's up in uh, New York, and uh, I got there and it was just a real eye because, you know, I thought I was ready, because like before Loretta's, I was, uh, you know, uh, well, previous, when I got on Suzuki right after Loretta's the previous year, and uh, 99, I went to many O's and I crashed real bad. And it's uh, actually totally dominating the whole many O's. Won like every moto, like 11 straight races. And I ended up crashing. I broke my broke my back and my collarbone real bad. So I was off like five months. And uh, so really the whole spring and summer was me trying to get back up to speed, get my cardio back. And I ended up, uh, you know, we did a lot of motos up to that point and you know me and my dad did a lot of training went to the gym a whole bunch trying to get myself into shape to run a you know a 30 plus two it's a long time you know especially if you're an amateur and you're just used to running you know 20 minute motos or you go to your local races you might run a 10 or 15 and it's like you know at the most but uh you know we we did some uh you know, after Loretta's, after I won uh, the two championships in the Rising World, we did a lot of, you know, a lot of testing and whatnot. So I went to, went to, uh, I forgot, what was it, Binghamton, New York, or whatever round, the uh, second to last round, and uh, got some good starts. Just uh, didn't have the results. I don't know if I got like 16th or something. Just, you know, I, I was out there and I was, you know, riding my heart out, but it wasn't, you know, but I, I, it was an eye opener, you know. I expected to get top ten at least, and I think my dad did too. But you know, I got there. You know, being as big as I was and outweighing everybody by, you know, twenty, thirty pounds, it was a big, you know, it was a big thing on horsepower riding at one twenty-five, and you know, especially there in New York, there was a bunch of you know big hills and uh, deep sawdust, and you know, it was a. Uh, We lose you? Uh, no, nah, can you hear me? Yeah, I got you. Sorry, I'll let that. Okay, part yeah, I'm on. I'm on a, a back road cutting across Georgia to get on 75. I apologize, Not but uh, yeah, I mean, I I expected to do a lot better, and you know, I think I don't even know. I think I got a much, maybe got 16th overall or something. You know, well, I crashed well, you got a whole 16th bunch. in a moto right in front of uh, Barry okay. Carson, but uh, 22nd overall. 22nd overall. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. a lot of crashes in that. Uh, in that race, uh, but then uh, went to Steel City, and I don't even recall what I got. You probably got the overall on that one, too. I don't know. Uh, I don't 25th overall. Uh, 25th. You went, uh, you went 22-21 for 25th overall. Some, yeah. some guys must have had some uh, some good motos and bad motos. Yeah, uh, yeah I didn't ride and, so yeah. good. <laughs> hey, but, but the, uh, you I know what? That's, I'm sorry. No, no big deal, man. Uh, coming coming off the amateurs, uh, this must have been a uh, a tough pill to swallow. Um, and I actually feel like you you must have been riding for the Primal Impulse uh, Suzuki team. Yes, sir. Yeah, the, the and uh, yeah, and then uh, you know it was it was hard. You know, I realized I had a lot of work to do, and then 
did a lot of off season, you know, uh, a lot of training, you know, worked hard in the off season and got ready for uh for supercross and uh went to uh actually got paid to go to do a local arena cross race and uh broke my thumb <laughs> and uh had to ride in uh Indy my first my first supercross actually I had a, a cast on my wrist and I cut the cast off of my wrist so I could just keep it on my thumb and ended up riding the first first two rounds with a, a cast on my thumb. But you know, uh, I don't even recall what I got in Indianapolis. I know my qualifier that I led. I led my qualifier uh, all the way to the last lap and got blocked past by Brock Sellers. And at the same time, Bastrana blocked past both of us. So <laughs> I felt I felt really good. You know, I had you know at that the first round was just like, oh yeah, okay, now I, I can do this. You know what I'm saying? I was you know I led majority of the race, I believe, and you know. When I got blocked pants and everything come off the track, Dad was all pumped. Everybody was happy, and you know, I don't recall what I got the first round or whatnot. I know, uh, I know I got a bunch of top tens that year in two cross, but you know, no, I really wanted to get some top fives. You know, I believe I was fast enough to get a podium, but you know, I was racing against a lot of, you know, there was a lot of fast guys in that class at the time. I mean, Chad Reed, uh, Pastrana. Brandon Jasmine, Danny Smith, Mike uh, Brown, Mike Brown, uh, Oh yeah, there was just it was stacked. I mean, if you look at the names that and back then, that was a lot of fast guys, and you know, but of all the rookies, I was most of the time up front of all the rookie guys. So, you know, I mean, it was, it was, it was uh, an eye opening, you know, for the you know first couple rounds of Supercross, I did a lot of, I crashed a lot, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't afraid to try stuff that maybe I shouldn't have tried, you know, try jump, you know, jump stuff that possibly 125 can make it, but with me on it, being, being a little bit bigger than everybody else, you know, maybe I shouldn't try stuff like that, but, you know, I, I was on the ground a lot, but I had a blast, you know, I mean, I love Supercross, it's one thing, I mean, the, like I said, the, I don't get to ride much, but when I do, when I was at Nario's, I rode Supercross. I didn't even get on the motocross track. I just rode the Supercross track because I, lo- I love love Supercross. Is it, so is it kind of like, uh, is it very similar to riding a bike that uh, once you get back on the Supercross track, uh, you can time all the triples and the rhythm sections? Like, uh, it might not have your speed of old, but uh, you can still make it around the track pretty good? Oh, yeah. I mean, other than just being... Uh, Riding a long time. I mean, you look, you go over rusty. I mean, sometimes it's a little off here and there. But I mean, if after you put some laps in and start getting comfortable on the bike and whatnot, it starts coming back. I mean, it's just it's all about your confidence, dude. I mean, if you know you can do it, you can do it. And you know, I, I I've had some guys come down and ride, and uh, some of them, you know, one other kid, uh, Dylan Rouse, got a podium in the the lights uh, arena cross. Uh, another guy, Justin Ashburn, he rides across, and you know, fat, I'm faster than them guys for two laps. But after them two laps, I can't breathe. <laughs> but you know, I'm just you know, out of shape. I mean, if you don't ride, you just gotta train your body to breathe over the jumps and breathe instead of hold your breath and you know, hope that you know you don't pass out. But you know, it is just like riding a bicycle. Once you know, you know, once you get to a certain speed and you can get back there if you're in shape and you know it's just riding that same speed consistently and safely for you know 
the 15 laps or the 20 laps, you know, of a supercross. For sure. Now, um, Suzuki for your entire professional career in motocross, uh, but a rather short one. Um, only to, like uh, you exit July twenty, uh, July twenty second or twenty first, two thousand uh, Unadilla. Um, what what forced you away from uh, from the professional ranks, man? Uh, like, obviously, I, I was quite young at this time. I didn't uh, wasn't following as probably as closely as uh, as I should have, but. Um, uh, much to the mystery of uh, of where Ben Riddle went. Well, really, I just got burnt out. Um, if you're used to winning all the time when you're uh, amateur, and you know, I put in all the hard work, and I, I trained and I rode all the time, and I just kept getting hurt. That was another thing. It was like I got I broke my leg at Washougal, uh, didn't even go down, got T-boned by Michael Brandis. I was running good. The first moto, I didn't have a real good moto. The second moto, I was running up front, top 10, and got T-boned. And I actually, he ran into my leg and broke my leg. Didn't even crash or nothing. And uh, ended up having surgery. Or ended up, they put a cast on it. And when they took the cast off after six weeks, my all my tendons and everything grew, didn't grow back right. So my foot was popped sideways. So they had to re-break my leg and uh, go on there and put plates and screws in it. And, you know, my big thing was when I switched to Suzuki, you know, my, my contract was I ride 125s for one year and then I moved to 250s. But I really, my dad was pushing for me to go straight to big bikes, the 250 class, because I was so big and I rode the 250 so much better than I rode the 125. And I really wanted to ride, you know, I thought I would have been better. I think my career wouldn't have ended as soon if I would have moved to big bikes, even though the competition was better, but harder. I think I would have had a better chance of doing better, and you know they, they wouldn't they wouldn't come off of me not you know jumping straight to big bikes. You know a lot of a lot of teams don't do that. They want you to baby steps and ride the small you know ride the light class and then move up. But you know at that time I really was pushing to try to get on the big bike and ride it instead. But they wouldn't, and you know I just it, it hurt me as horsepower wise but I was you know I trained hard at six foot four 185 pounds and I looked sick because I, I was trying to cut weight and keep my weight down but it was so hard you know not being to I mean I was eating healthy and trying to train hard but it was just trying to keep my weight down was was killing me and you know ended up breaking my leg and they moved me to uh I finally you know I'm switched over to moto world and I started riding 250 and uh, I went out and made, I made all my mains, I believe. I think my first, I think I made all the mains. You know, I didn't really was in shape. I had to ride myself back in shape because I couldn't do nothing because my leg. So I rode myself back into shape, started doing better. And I made all my mains. I think, I don't think I ever got any better than like a 15th or something. But I went, I went to Vegas and uh, was in the qualifier. And it was like Carmichael, Stefan Ricotta, and Mastrana were in front of me. And it was the second to last lap. And there was a, it's like a double-double into a turn. You could triple single. I come up short, and I caught a handlebar. I went over the bars and caught a handlebar in the gut. And it lacerated my liver. And uh, I spent a week and a half in the hospital in Vegas, on a, actually on a waiting list, because they weren't sure if my liver was going to heal itself. And uh, I couldn't do nothing for like six weeks, so I was off pretty much all six, all 
from May until July, and I rode, uh, I went and tried to ride broom, and I was just, I was over it. I mean, I was just tired of getting hurt, went up there, and uh, crashed up there in practice, and was just, you know, I wasn't feeling it. Then I went home, and uh, getting ready to go do Steel City, and crashed at my house practicing, and got a concussion, and broke some ribs, and I tried to ride Steel City practice, and told the team manager I was done. I was like, you know, I was like, hey, I'm over it, and just, I'm going home. You know, there's no point for me to be here. I'm just, you know, and then my agent called and was like, hey, I got you another ride, and, you know, you switch to Hondas and whatnot, and I'm, I was like, you know what, I'm good. You know, I had a bunch of money in the bank put back, and I thought, you know, I was going to do all right. You know, just wasn't, was burnt out on it, and, you know, probably the biggest mistake of my life, if I just would have stuck with it, I think I'd be... I used to beat Andrew Short every weekend. Not a problem. I mean, there's a lot of them guys I used to beat all the time, Tesco and all them guys, and it's just, you know, uh, they they stuck with it, even though they had some bad results and whatnot, and, you know, stuck with it for a few years, and look whether, you know, the Tesco's retired, Short's still out there doing good, you know, and if I just would have stuck with it, I think, I, you know, I could be retired now or still racing, but I just was burnt out and just didn't want to, you know, felt like I was going to try something different and, you know, missed a lot of small stuff when I was, you know, a teenager. I didn't, you know, didn't have a life. All I did was ride motocross and I just, you know, I tried to be a kid and, you know, probably one of the biggest mistakes in my life, but, you know, I can't take it back now and, you know, got to move forward and that's why, you know, I don't know. I just wish I wasn't, got burnt out pretty much. I mean, basically that was the, I was just over it. Yeah, well, for sure. Um, it's uh, like a two two years of, uh, of of like injuries, mixed results, and uh, frustration uh, turned you away from the sport. And uh, like I, I can't think that most people would would have kind of done the same. Like especially if you got some money in the bank. Um, like uh, you look back on it now, and maybe you've done things different. But like you said, you can't change that. And uh, Having been so dominant coming out of amateurs, uh, and we've seen it before with riders that uh, they just don't have that immediate success. It, it's, it's a it's a huge hit, and uh, it's tough to come back from. Um, now, when you work with kids, uh, like how do you use the things that you've learned from motocross to pass on to them and, and stress of the hard work and uh, just to stay dedicated uh, um, to not uh, like you seem like you have some some regrets about. Uh, uh, how your career ended up going? How do you save them from that, or how how do you help them uh, change that those types of things? Well, I, I mean, I really just try to keep it fun. You know, I, I talk to their parents. You know, my dad was hard on me. You know, I mean, if I didn't do good, I you know, times was some screaming and yelling and whatnot. But I just try to make it where they realize that it's it's, it's fun. When it's not fun no more, you're you know, it, you're. You're not, you know, it's not worth it when it's not fun no more. And you got to keep it where it's always fun and you're always learning something. And, and, you know, that you don't let it get to a point that it's not fun. And when you start, you know, you got to try to not let the, the bad override the good, you know, because if you're decent in this sport and you can do something that you're naturally talented at and you can make money at doing it and enjoy doing it, then that's the best thing you got going. But if you know you're not you're not having fun doing it no more, and it's not you know you don't have the passion for it no more, then it, it just takes all the you know drive out of you. 
and you know you want to keep it always interesting and always fun and that's what i try to preach to them you know hey look we'll keep it interesting when you start getting bored or you know or you start getting where the point that you don't want to do something or you know i don't push them to the limit that they don't want to do it no more I, you know i'll push them and when they start getting tired or something then we move to something else i don't want to be where like i said it, it lose, they lose interest in it and that, that's basically what happened to me. I lost interest in the sport. And, you know, I was just burnt out on getting hurt, you know, and I try to keep it safe. That's another thing. You know, when you get tired, you know, call it a day. There's no reason to be out on the track when you're tired, you know, and that was a lot of things, you know, trying to keep them in shape, too. When you're out of shape, you make mistakes, and mistakes usually lead to getting hurt or, you know, bad results. And, you know, I just try to preach to them that let's always keep it fun and safe at the same time because, you know, any any second it could be it could be took away from me by by an injury or you know anything. So you know, I just try to preach to them a lot about you know let let's keep it let's keep it fun. You know, let's keep it interesting, and you know, always have something for them to learn, and always let them know that you know if you push hard and you know and you're naturally talented at doing it and riding a dirt bike, and you can make money. It's a lot better than working a nine to five. You know, it's a lot more fun than going and working for somebody that works you to death or, you know, or just pushes you so much and, you know, you're not making a quarter of what you'd make, you know, racing a dirt bike. All right. So uh, last couple questions before I let you go. Uh, first one is, uh, how are those Bill's Pipes Suzuki? Uh, this is a Bill's Pipes podcast, so uh, they'd, they'd be uh, remiss if I didn't... Um, Ask you about how those bikes performed and uh, what are your thoughts on the Bill's pipe on a on a Suzuki? Oh man, them bikes are so awesome. I mean, like I said, I, I rode I rode for FF and you know I switched over the Bill's pipes there for the last Supro National. And they were just phenomenal, stupid class. I mean, everything about them was fast. I mean, they had every, like, a lot of testing and whatnot with different pipes and different gear setups and different know engine all kinds of different stuff and you know i was totally pleased with you know all the results from you know the you know all the all the testing and all the the work we put in and i have no you know great 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 company and great group of guys excellent uh best teammate or favorite teammate that you had throughout your professional or uh, amateur career professional amateur career best teammate It'd have to be, uh, I, I, I went and stayed at Kevin Wyndham's there for a while, and uh, Kevin was a great guy and had a lot of fun there. And then uh, also, uh, I got to say, uh, probably uh, Josh Lichtel, and uh, I also liked Davey Millsaps when I rode for, uh, for Suzuki. Bunch of group, a uh, bunch of good kids. Um uh, you know, there are so many that I can't really, you know, speak on one. But, I mean, really, I like Josh Lichtel a lot. Um, there was a lot of kids that, you know, we did a lot of stuff with. Uh, a lot of humble guys, Jeff Gibson and a lot of other people like that was real good. But uh, in the pro career, you know, I liked, uh, I liked uh, Kevin Wyndham was a great guy. And, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of fast guys. But, I mean... Really, I can't really say point pinpoint one that was better than the rest of them. So okay. I apologize on that. I mean, I wish I could, but no worries. Uh, man. It's your podcast. Um, 
Get on the on the, the topic of Jeff Gibson. Uh, what's your reaction when Jeff Gibson tells you he's going to be riding at Cannondale in two thousand one? I don't know, but mountain bike or a dirt bike? <laughs> that was kidding. a dirt bike. You yeah, that um, thing at- <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's crazy. Uh, really, I didn't uh, just you know different bike. You know, it's kind of. Uh, Amazing that another, you know, another good company that's, you know, getting, you know, was into motocross and whatnot, but, uh, you know, it was, uh, kind of different, you know, I really didn't, uh, didn't yeah, really think an, a lot about it. Was on an it was fuel injected four stroke in 2001 or 2002. Yeah. Incredible. Um, favorite mechanic you ever had, or, uh, I guess, uh, like who, who was uh, your mechanic as a professional? Um, it was uh, Greg Albertine's old mechanic, and his name was Joey M- Moore, or Mirror or something. It was Greg Albertine's old mechanic. He was a really good mechanic. Uh, also had a guy named Sarge. I forgot his, his name, but we all, his name was Sarge. We called him Sarge. He was at Moto World. But I got to say, you know, as an amateur, my dad, um, you know, I had a uh, – I forgot the guy's name there from uh, – he was from New Zealand that worked on my bikes at FMF. And he was a really good guy. Stay in touch with him. He works for a kid in uh, South Africa now, and uh, I stay in touch with him all the time. I Facebook him, and uh, we talk on the phone every once in a while. And he was a really good mechanic of mine. Good, good guy. You know, um, I just a lot. I've had a, a few, but you know, a lot, a lot. But you know, really, my dad, you know, was probably my my favorite of all of them because I knew that I didn't have to worry about nothing being loose or nothing falling off or you know, anything like that. But, um, you know, the, the guy from FMF, I wish I could remember his name. And it's a shame that I can't remember it, but if I, as soon as I get off the phone with you, I'd remember, but yeah, he was a really good mechanic, uh, really good guy from South uh, from New Zealand, um, uh, come over there with Hilton Beatty and all them guys. when they come over to work for uh, Donnie Elmer from for FMF and, uh, really good guy. And uh, and last question: uh, Any overseas races for you during your professional or amateur career? Uh, anytime you either represented uh, United States at an amateur, like the mini worlds uh, that they have, or uh, going over and doing any of the uh, European Supercrosses? No, I never had opportunity to go overseas. Anything, which is a bummer. But uh, you know, um, would have liked to, but never had an offer or nothing to do it. Um, Actually, the guy, like I said, the guy from uh, New Zealand wanted me to come over to South Africa and help there be a riding coach for the kid that he uh, makes mechanics for now. But just it's a, not the best country to go to. <laughs> you know, they got a lot of stuff going on over there in South Africa and whatnot. But, uh, you know, always look, always wanted to be able to do something like that, but never had the opportunity to do it. Right on, man. Well, um, thank you so much for uh spending an hour with me ben uh it's been a thrill to uh get your uh your career archived and get your thoughts on motocross and and hear your story um i'm gonna try and get this thing out as soon as i can um uh, and uh edit it down and release to the public probably tomorrow which will be wednesday the 29th of april 2015 uh you have a good rest of your uh drive out to uh to florida and um yeah on behalf of myself brad gephardt and the whole big mx crew uh thank you so much it's been awesome no i appreciate it a lot and thank you for giving me the opportunity to do it you know hopefully that uh 
hopefully I make get my name back out there training these kids and whatnot. Um, like I said, got to start off small. Like I only got, only got two right now, but hopefully um, everything uh, moves forward, and I, you know, maybe hopefully one day down the road get a facility. And uh, but you know, I like my two kids I got right now. One, uh, you know, I got one that's really good. He gets top fives at some of the nationals and whatnot. And I'm hoping that he can go Loretta's and get. You know, put the bike up there up front, but uh, that's my plan right now is just to try to teach these kids and, uh, you know, enjoy being part of motocross. It's a big family, and, I, you know, I'm glad to have the opportunity to be able to feel, be around and pass my knowledge down to these kids, and, uh, you know, hopefully they can uh, make it farther than I did in, uh, as a pro rider, and uh, maybe one day... Maybe I can get get my bike fixed, and maybe here in a couple of years, get back down to Loretta's and win me another championship. That's my awesome, one of my other goals that's going to happen eventually. It's just you know finances and everything right now is just kind of tight, but uh, hopefully next year uh, go down there in 2016 and get me a championship. That's what I want in the vet class. <laughs> Add some more go. number one place to my wall. Add one of those so. uh, a more a more modern looking number one plate uh, from the from the ranch. That would be really cool. Uh, if anyone oh, yeah. is uh, interested in uh, getting some instruction from you, uh, how do they get in contact with you? Uh, they can just uh, look me up on Facebook. Um, pretty much just uh, look me up on Facebook, or uh, they can contact me. Uh, my felt phone number is two seven zero four zero three four four one zero. And uh, like I said, I live in Southern Georgia don't have a facility but i have a van and a trailer and we go i mean i take my two kids riding into a different track every day uh, we go to a lot of good facilities and ride you know like i said we're going to florida for you know, like three weeks and stay down there in a condo and uh stay down there and ride but uh yeah um, look forward to helping out a lot more kids just did a school this past weekend and uh it rained the whole night before it was muddy all day long still had 10 kids show up so you know, that's what it's all about. And, uh, you know, I just really want to pass all my knowledge down. And uh, hopefully, if I can help one kid succeed out of, you know, all the kids I work with, I think I, you know, I think I've, you know, that's something I, that'd be great to accomplish. That's my, you know, goal is to help out as many as I can. But if one can make it and get a pro ride, then that's, you know, that that's what it's all about. You know, putting a smile on their, their face when they come off doing good and getting good results and, when their their parents are happy because they're riding good and uh that's what it's all about so solid man well uh like i said you have yourself a great rest of your trip uh, i'll get to editing this thing and uh but uh we'll cut it off for there you have yourself a great time okay hey stay in touch with me anytime you need anything give me a call okay yeah, anytime there uh ben you have a good night thank you bro later bye <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Big MX Podcast, brought to you by X-Brand Goggles. Be sure to check out our archive for episodes you may have missed. Check out our website at BigMXRadio.com for more content.